0: How you doing, Phil? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. Good, good. What what do you got going on today? What's uh, well, What's gosh, happening? Good morning, Church. Hi. Hi, Phil. I'm a little uncomfortable up here with a microphone on stage. <laughs> sure, give me a break. <laughs> Pastor Kevin asked me to come up here and say some jokes about how he is uh, vertically challenged. I said I would, but I generally don't stoop down to his level. <laughs> the truth is, I do like small people. I find that they're more down to earth. As a matter of fact, Pastor Kevin and I just played mini-golf last week. You remember that? Yes, yes. But come to think of it, he just called it golf. He said one of his favorite things to do is to go to shoe stores. I said, why is that? He said, the mirrors there are the perfect height. <laughs> There's no doubt why God put PK in the ministry. He's the master of small talk. Ooh. Now, for a man that needs a Lego as a step stool up here, I should go easy on him. He belittles himself. Good news is he won't remember any of this. You know, short term memory. Yeah. Thank you, Phil. Will you set that on the front seat for me? Thank you very much. I did ask Phil to come up and do that because I felt it was better for somebody else to say short jokes rather than me, and it would be better to to actually, you got to insert the short guy in the joke, so I I just appreciate that, Phil, and by the way, you always kill me. Thank you very much. If you don't understand that, just ask me later. I know he does, but uh, if you don't understand what that means, I'll tell you later. Well, we're finishing up this series called Small, and uh, today I want to focus on Mark chapter 12. I'm going to start reading at verse 41, if you want to follow along. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on today I want us to look at three particular truths that we see from the scripture. And uh, as we finish up this series, the first truth that I want us to look at is this, life is not defined by lack. Life is not defined by lack. Now Jesus often taught in the temple courts. And I want you to to get this, I want you to understand this that the temple in Jerusalem, uh, the majority of it did not have a roof okay they didn 't have to deal with weather the way that we do, and so it was open and so there there was no there was no ceiling on it, and so it was called a, a lot of the areas are called courts and Jesus Taught in these courts, and one particular court that Jesus taught in uh, very frequently was called the court of women, and all the ladies said, Amen. Amen. I, man, I've been in church since I was a little kid, I have never heard that. Until I studied this week for this message that, that Jesus, that he, he spent a lot of his time teaching in the temple courts and it was the temp, the court of women so that women were able to hear what Jesus was saying. And the reason they called it the, the, the court of women because that's as far into the temple as they were allowed to go. There were other parts of the temple for other reasons. There was the the, the Gentile court where the Gentiles were allowed to go. And there were areas where only men were allowed who were Jewish. Uh, And and in this particular area where Jesus is teaching, in the court of women, there were also called, it was called the treasury. There were were 13, we would call them um, almost stations, And in each of those stations around the outside edge of the, the, at the, at the outside limit of the court of women, there was a container. And and it might be called a box, but really it it, it was it was probably uh, made out of um, some sort of stoneware, and it and it had a sort of a, a trumpeted mouth, and then it would come down, and it was larger at the bottom, and that was the place where people would put their offerings. So they would come into the temple, and there were certain um, certain of these they would call them trumpets. Um, there were certain ones of these treasure boxes, these receptacles, where people would would put certain offerings. Um, When you came into the temple, there was one immediately, and that one was where people paid what was called the temple tax. And so that was something that was used for the upkeep of the temple. But there were also uh, certain ones of these trumpets where people would come and they would put guilt offerings, or they would put sin offerings, or they would put uh, even a voluntary offering, and and they may even have been designated different, different trumpets, different offering receptacles for different types of offerings, Instead of bringing an animal to the temple, they would bring the monetary equivalent of that animal. And they would put that money into that receptacle, into that container, and then the priest would take that money and they would buy that particular animal, and then they would sacrifice it. And so that kept it from having people bringing animals into the temple. So Jesus sees these rich folks bringing in their voluntary offerings. In other words, it's not the temple tax. It's not a guilt offering. It's not a sin offering. They are simply bringing it in as a voluntary gift. And they are presenting them there in the court of women, there in that area where all of these receptacles were placed. Now, we also see that there, that Jesus, not only could he see these rich folks, but because of where Jesus was positioned, he could also see, and I'm not sure if all the women had to go to one receptacle or not. The Bible doesn't tell us, I'm not sure of it. I couldn't discover that answer, but Jesus sees the rich folks putting in their voluntary gifts that are very large, and at the same time, he can see this woman as she puts in her gift. Now, we know several things about her. First of all, and this may seem a little bit insignificant to you, but it's not to her. The first thing is is that she is a woman. That's something important in Jewish culture. She is a woman, she is a widow, and she is poor. The Bible says that basically she doesn't even have two cents to her name. We use phrases like that. We use phrases to to talk about what we do or we don't have. If you don't have much, you'll say, man, I don't even have enough to rub two nickels together, right? Right? We have, we have sayings like that. She didn't have two cents to her name. And you say, well, she had those two copper coins. Isn't that the same as having two cents to her name? We'll get into that in just a second. But this, well, in fact, I'll, I'll even tell you right now, the value of those two copper coins, they were worth about an eighth of a penny each. I won't go into the whole thing of what that's... But but as I researched it, they weren't worth a penny. They were worth about an eighth of a penny. So between the two of those, on her best day, she had a quarter of a penny in those two copper coins. And that's what she put in. And it, she literally, it was all that she had. Now, her life, one would think, could be defined by lack. Let me just go into that a little bit, Okay. First of all, she's she lacks being the correct gender, all right? We hear a lot of conversation about gender in our culture. There was a lot of conversation about gender in Jewish culture because if you were not a man, and a man was described as a male that was 12 years old and older, if you were not a man, you had little or no value in society, Women did not have value. So she was, uh, there, there was a lack in her life because she lacked being the correct gender. Secondly, she lacks a husband. For a woman in Jewish culture, a husband was step number one. Now, in our, in our society today, it's, that's, it's very different. But we're trying to get a grasp on this culture that we're talking about here. In the first century in Jerusalem, a husband was something that was absolutely mandatory for a woman to have any value. Her value was found in being a wife. Now, there was another thing that she lacked. She, she apparently lacked children. She apparently lacked sons, because if she had sons, those sons more than likely would have um, invited her into their home and they would have provided for her. So more than likely, she lacked sons. She also lacked financial resource. She had those two copper coins was all that she had to her name. I remember when I was a kid one day, I asked my dad if we could go probably to McDonald's or something like that. I might've even mentioned this to you recently, but my dad said he didn't have any money. I said, wait a second. You're telling me you don't have any money in your wallet? He opens his wallet. There's no money in his wallet. I said, what about the credit union? He said, nope, there's no money in the credit union. I'm like, we're poor. I was, I was just stricken with the sense that we were impoverished at that young age. But she didn't have any resources at all. She also lacked a future. There was no one to provide for her. She had no value within society. Her life could have been defined by lack. Let me ask you this. Do you allow lack to define you? do you allow lack to determine your value? Lack is when we talk about what we don't have. You know, we we can talk about what we have and we can talk about what we don't have. But often, we allow lack to define and determine our value. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, the second half of the verse It says, the Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, we determine value based on what we have and what we don't have. That's how we determine our value. If you take all that you don't have and all that you have and you weigh it out, we look at someone and we give them a value often based on this. And I know this because we talk about those things as a society. We talk about those things as families. We talk about those things as friends. And we realize that in our culture, there is a value that is placed on people based on what they have and what they don't have. Are we allowing Are we allowing ourselves to be defined by what we do not have? Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, I'm reading from the message here. It says, speaking to people, he went on, take care, protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Now here's the sentence I want you to look at. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. That's good news, isn't it? Life is not defined by what you have, even if you have a lot. And I'm going to say, therefore, the exact opposite must also be true. That life is not defined by what I don't have, even if I don't have much or anything. Because my life is not defined by lack, by what I don't have. Some of us today, if we're really honest we have to say that we have been, I'll use the word guilty. I, I don't, I'm not trying to use that as a heavy-handed word, but we, we've thought about our own value based on what we have or what we don't have. And I believe today that our value is not based on either one of those. The second truth I want us to look at is that sacrifice Supersedes significant. It's a lot of S's. I realize that Jesus draws attention here to the big givers that are in the temple, or at least that's what the disciples think that he's drawing their attention to. He calls the boys over. Hey guys, look at this! And immediately they're they're automatically drawn to the, the to seeing these big gifts. Okay, these big monetary gifts that are coming in and and. And they, they did it a little bit different um, than we do it here today. I mean, you can pull out your phone, you can you can uh, you know pull up your 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 camera, you can you can get that QR code in front of you, and you can you can give in seconds, and no one else knows about it. You can you can send a, a, a gift to an organization in the mail. No one else knows about it. Here in the temple, they were giving it. It was very public was happening in a very public setting a very public way and there was lots of rich people who were throwing in large amounts and obviously the disciples were very impressed but Jesus said to them guys i want you to know something they're giving out of their abundance they're giving out of their wealth and this widow is giving completely differently you see, she's giving, as he compares that, she's giving something that to the disciples seemed like absolutely nothing. It seemed like nothing. We, we use the very words two cents. I'm gonna give you my two cents worth because it, it, it amounts to nothing. We equate that with Nothing. And that's what she was giving. But Jesus looked past the significant givers to the sacrificial giver. Do you see what I'm saying? He looked past the, the, the wealthy people that were coming up with their large financial free will gifts and, and he pays attention. He draws the disciples' attention to the woman because she is giving not a large gift, she is giving a sacrificial gift. She gave out of her poverty, she gave literally her all. Jesus is saying here that, that two cents is, is more than all of these, these large gifts because of sacrifice. Sacrifice is what makes a gift big. I wanna draw your attention to the apostle Paul when he's writing about the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses two to four. The Macedonians were people that that Paul took the gospel to on his missionary journeys. And here's what he says. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability In other words, they got into the sacrificial area of giving. They weren't just giving what they felt they were able to, but beyond that, entirely on their own. Paul also says that God loves a cheerful giver. They did it all on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They were giving to the Jewish people in Jerusalem who were impoverished. And so these people, as they accepted the gospel throughout Asia Minor, Paul would collect an offering from them, and then it would be taken back to Jerusalem to help these people that were so impoverished there in the city of Jerusalem. So you might be saying to yourself today, you know, I I don't know that I can give a big amount. I want you to know that, that when we think about giving, when we think about how the disciples looked at giving, we might think to ourselves, you know what? I can't give much, so it really doesn't matter. God's attention must be on all those big givers in the world today. Why should I even bother giving at all? You know that this represents literally the exact opposite of the truth of Scripture. It represents exactly the opposite. In fact, in Hebrews 13, the writer of Hebrews says that God, that sacrifice pleases God. So when we give sacrificially, even when it's a small amount, it is the sacrifice ultimately that pleases him. It's not the amount that we give. In second uh, Corinthians chapter eight verse 12. Paul says this, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. You might say, you know what? Um, My ability, it's just too small to really make a difference. So why should I worry about giving God from my ability? It's just too small. You might think my contribution, it's just too small to matter, so why bother doing that at all? You might think my time, I have so little time to give. And so because it's so small, why worry about even giving it at all? Because it really doesn't matter that much. And I'm not going to be able to make an impact with my time. You know, my strength is just, just... Too little, too small. Just not able to move the ball forward. So, why even bother at all? You might feel that because you can't do or you can't give much and it really doesn't matter. But I want you to understand that is a lie from the pit of hell to get you to not give your ability, to not give your time, to not give of your resources to not give of your life, to not sacrifice, because sacrifice pleases God. And the pit of hell wants you to not be worried about pleasing God. God is attentive to the sacrificial. His attention is not based on how much numbers don't matter to God, but the heart does. The sacrifice always supersedes the significant. Pastor and theologian A.W. Tozer in the beginning of the 20th century said this, not by its size is my gift judged, but by how much of me there is in it. Man, that's a great quote. So let's look at truth number three. God establishes your value. Let's look at Luke chapter 12. We're still on small here, people. Luke chapter twelve six and seven, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. Now in Matthew's account, he says it a little different. He said that two sparrows are sold for a penny. Now the math is easier. Some of you here are, there's probably a couple good people that are really good at math and then there's the rest of you are, are like me, okay? All right, you're, you're just, you, math is not your strong suit. So Matthew's, his, the math is a little easier. Two sparrows are sold for a penny. That's a little easier. So in other words, one sparrow equals a half a penny. Does anyone have a half a penny? You got a half a penny? Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's all right. I, I thought maybe I missed something. Does anybody anybody here? Do you have a half a penny? Anybody? Anyway, why? Why? They don't make one. We don't have one. That is that is a penny's the smallest denomination that we have. We don't. In fact, do you know that it costs more to produce pennies than pennies are worth? We don't have anything smaller than a penny. It's the smallest denomination that there is. And a sparrow is worth less than the smallest denomination that we have available to us. And so what you have to do is increase the number of sparrows until it equals that smallest denomination that we have. And in the first century, the, the equivalent of that, that, that small coin, we can refer to it as a penny, was two sparrows. So you had to increase from one, you increased it to two, and now, okay, that's the equivalent. Luke says the same thing, that one sparrow equals less than a penny, uh, but then he gives a different equation. Luke says that five sparrows are sold for two pennies. Now, that's different than Matthew. Matthew says that that, uh, two sparrows are for one penny. Luke says five sparrows are for two pennies. The difference is the fifth sparrow. The fifth sparrow has no value. The fifth sparrow is thrown in as an incentive to get you to buy. Are you with me? It has no monetary value. It's just to sweeten the deal a little bit. God doesn't forget even the fifth sparrow. He says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And God does not forget. Even one of them doesn't fall to the ground apart from God knowing it and being aware of it. Even that fifth sparrow that has no monetary value. And then he says, don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. God is aware of a valueless sparrow. And if he is aware of a valueless sparrow, and if he keeps track of the numbers of the hair on your head, he knows what your value is. And he's placed a value on me, on you. The other day, my daughter in law, Amy, was getting a significant amount of hair cut off. And she asked Levi, she said, Should mommy donate her hair? to somebody who needs it? And his eyes lit up. And he said, yeah, Grandpa. (laughs) God doesn't have a lot of work to do. I'm not taking him a lot of time, okay? But if God is aware of that valueless sparrow, then you must matter to him. In Psalm 139, I'm not gonna take time to read all the verses that you see, but I, wanna, I want you to look at verse 17. It says, how precious are your thoughts. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. What that really means is how precious are God's thoughts about you. okay. Do you know that God is thinking about you? He has precious thoughts about you. God continues to think of us. It's incomprehensible. It's overwhelming that God would take the time to write down all of our days in his book. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says this For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's handiwork. You are God's handiwork. You are precious to him. He loves you. He has set a value on your life. You say, wait a minute, what do you mean? God? The scripture says that God sent his son Jesus. He gave his life as a ransom for many. We've all seen movies where some child of a rich guy is abducted and they get a note in the mail and it says, hey, give us a ransom, we'll give you your child back, right? They don't ask for 10 bucks. They ask for hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. They ask for exorbitant amount. Why? Because they know that that person places a high value on their child. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for your life and for mine. He places a high value. It is a lie from the pit that you are worthless. And yet for many of you, the words worthless have circled around and around and around in your mind for years. Maybe it's because of what Some kids said to you on the playground when you were little, maybe it's something that your parents said to you, maybe it's something that a sibling said to you, but you were made to feel worthless. You are not worthless. God has set a value on your life and that value is so high that the only thing that he could give in all of heaven that would be enough to ransom your precious life was the life of his son. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we've been talking for the last month about small And we've had some fun with it. But this is the serious part. Because we've been lied to. We've been told that if we don't have much money to give, if we don't have much time to give, if we don't have much ability to give, it's not really even worth it. So why bother? We've been told that we're pretty worthless. And we've believed it. And Father, today, even though these lies that have been told about being small, Lord, I pray that we would acknowledge that these indeed are lies from the pit of hell. And so today, Lord, as as we close, I, I just want to speak to the person that feels like, you know what, you've bought into one or both of these lies in your life and you realize today that they are lies and you feel the holy spirit really really working in you that these are lies and and that you need to acknowledge that they're lies and you need to set them aside and believe the truth and the truth is that god values sacrifice above that which is substantial and that God has placed a value on your life that is worth more than anything, any amount of money this world has to offer. So as we close today if you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you I just want to pray for you as we close. Just slip your hand up Just to signify, yep, Pastor Kevin, thank you. Yes. All over this place. Come on, let's all stand together, shall we? Father, I'm so grateful that your word speaks to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, for the one that's here today that has felt like they are, they just, they're worthless. They're, their, their, their little bit of time, their little bit of ability, their little bit of resource, their, their just, just their whole being is worthless. Father, we acknowledge that that is a lie from the pit of hell. Come on, if you acknowledge that's a lie from the pit of hell, just say amen. Father, we acknowledge that that is a lie from the pit of hell. You have placed a value on us. You have given your son as a ransom. And Father, for the one that's here today that maybe has never accepted Jesus as their Savior, they didn't realize that you gave your son Jesus as a ransom for them, I pray that today they would simply say, Father, I just receive what Jesus has done for me. I accept it. I embrace it. Father, thank you for placing a value on my life. God, we thank you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. It has been great to worship with you today. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to drain that coffee pot out there, okay? I do. I want you to drain it. Let's fellowship together. God bless you. Thanks for being here today.